is probably going to be a pretty familiar verse for a lot of us, but we'll just start out there just to be sure. Matthew 28, 19-20. Did anybody get like a little pin for having this memorized when you were in fourth grade? See? Different backgrounds. Some of you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. It's good. Different backgrounds. All right. Verse 18, 28 verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so just a little bit about us and our story and where we came from. Uh, my wife, who's sitting back there, uh, we were youth pastors in Gainesville at a church called Lanier Hills. Anyone ever heard of it? Really? Cool. Well, not, you don't count. Talk to me after. That's cool. Are you from Gainesville? Cool. Okay. So we were youth pastors. The whole or one of the primary reasons we went there um, was because the church was going to allow us to be on staff, um, to be in doing active ministry. But eventually, within three or five years, the church was going to send us out to go plant somewhere. Um, my wife and I knew that we were going to be church planters. Here's what we knew. Um, for a lot of you, this is kind of re, um, we're just kind of rehashing some old stuff, but just in case. Here's what we knew. Uh, we were called to the States, so we were going to plant somewhere in the United States of America. Um, God bless those people that go over. That's just not us. Uh, my wife said not in like the Southwest. Uh, I don't know if it was really a spiritual thing or just didn't want to live in Arizona, which is fine with me. Uh, anybody from Arizona? Okay, cool. It's kind of gross, but didn't want to live in the Southwest, and we knew that it was going to be in a college town. That's all that we knew. So somewhere in the States, not in the Southwest, somewhere in a college town. Uh, because we love college students, we love the liberalness that comes in college towns. It's everything about college towns. And we really firmly believe that college students are one of the most unreached people group in America. So that's what we set out to do. Um, that was all going with Leonard Hills. There's some things that happened at that church. And they decided, hey, let's, that was a great strategy we had. We had planted one church. But we're going to go a different direction from here on out. Praise God for that. But it left Bree and I going, okay, what do we do? Because we were supposed to be your next church plant. Like we were going to go out. You guys have changed vision. And I think that's the right call for the church. But where does that leave us? And so we got 13 guys to fast and pray for us. And we were, I was still a youth pastor at the time. And all 13 out of 13 said, I think you should quit the church. And I think you should go plant a church. Um, now. Like, okay, that sounds great. But we don't know where we're going. And I don't have any job lined up or anything like that. And they said, no, no. I think you should quit the church. I think you should go plant a church now. So we said, okay. Um, and we had pastors and like super spiritual guys, and then I put like strategic businessmen on that council so that they would be like very like financially sound, like, oh, that's not wise for you to quit with no, you've got a wife and a daughter. You shouldn't just quit with no income coming. But we did. So we turned in our six-week notice. The church loved on us, encouraged us. Within two weeks of us quitting the church, so we still had a month left there, steady paycheck coming for four more weeks, we already had a job lined up doing construction. Anyone ever gone into your attic and seen the fluffy stuff in your attic? That is the worst job you can ever have. <laughs> stay in college. Please, for the love, stay in college. Because uh, that's what I did. We took about three months from October, November, December of 2012. We said, we're not going to think about planting. We're going to stop. We're going to rest. We're a little tired from ministry. We're just going to sit for a season. And I'm going to blow in attic insulation, and it's going to be miserable. Yay. So 
Um, past that, we met up with the North American Mission Board, a guy named Kevin Nizel, and we kind of told him what we were thinking. He said, well, why don't you and your wife go fly out to the Northwest and go look at all those towns that you've been thinking about? So we got on a plane, we flew out to Seattle, Corvallis, Eugene, Pullman, Washington, and Portland, Oregon. We looked at all of those towns. Has anyone ever been to Corvallis just randomly? No, okay. It's a beautiful town. It's called Mayberry of the West. Like, it's just awesome. My wife said no. So the last stop was with a pastor named Keith Weezer. We were hanging out at his house, collegiate church planner. I think they've got like six campuses now. I was talking about deer hunting, just something. I mean, I didn't think this was anything official. We were just hanging out at his house. Um, and we were talking about deer hunting and said, man, I just got to tell you, um, you guys don't belong in the Northwest. Sweet. All right. So we got back on the plane, flew home, and we said, Dahlonega has always been it for us. We're going to Dahlonega. Um, it took us about six months to actually move here because we tried to buy a house and it didn't work out and all this kind of stuff. So we landed boots on the ground January 2014 to start this thing called The Branch. And when we came here, we had three months of salary raised. If we didn't raise more support, if we didn't start growing a church after that, then we didn't know what we were going to do. But um, the Lord has provided and provided and provided ever since then. We launched September of 2014. We had a core team of about 18 people. So we launched September 2014. Last year, last kickoff Sunday, um, September 2015 or August 2015, we had about 75 Two weeks ago, we had 145, and so the Lord just keeps growing what's happening here, and we're excited about that. And I'm not saying that to say anything. I'm just saying that's where we are, and that's where we've come from, but we have big visions of where we go from here. Dahlonega is not it for us. This is the beginning, but this isn't the end. We want to plan on every major college campus in the state of Georgia. That's about 18 to 20 campuses now. Who knows what's going to happen in the next 20 years? Those numbers may continue to grow. And if, if the Lord does everything that we think he's going to do and everything we're asking him to do um, next year, when we stand on the stage next August, we're going to send out people to go plant in another college town. And we're going to make the ask for you guys to transfer from University of North Georgia to this next college town to go do that with us. And then hopefully in a couple of years, we're going to do that again and then do that again and do that again until we're on every college campus in Georgia. But all of this circles around this idea that Jesus told us in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. Um, has anyone ever heard of Francis Chan? He's got this really funny but then really convicting uh, sermon. He's talking about discipleship. And one of the things that he talks about is that sometimes we as Christians read the Bible in a really funky way. So the example he gives with his kids, but I'll make it about my kids. If I told my daughter, Auburn, who's five, hey, Auburn, go clean your room. And she came back to me in about 30 minutes and said, hey, Dad, I memorized what you told me. Go clean your room. Aren't you happy with me? Um, I don't know if you guys got spanked growing up, but that earns a spanking right there. <laughs> that is defiant as all possible. That is not what I asked you to do. And what if she said, oh, Dad, I got a great idea. Um, Lucas down the street and our neighbor, I don't know his name, but my neighbor down there, I'm going to invite them over. And we're going to sit around in my room and talk about what would happen if I cleaned my room. Isn't that incredible? No. No, it's not. Go clean your room. It was pretty clear instructions, right? Auburn, Auburn, you're talking? Okay. Go clean your room. Do you know where your room is? Okay. Do you know what it means to clean? Yes. Okay. Go clean your room. So when we read Matthew 28, go and make disciples, it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. And we can memorize it, and we can have fun with it, and we can learn it in the Greek. But if we're not actually doing it, then nothing else matters. 
And so the year and three months that my wife and I had to stop, I wasn't on any church staff, that we could go to church if we wanted to, nothing mattered. I wasn't a paid pastor, paid Christian or anything like that. We just got to be. And one of the big things that really stuck out through that time was, like, how many people did I really know that were actually making disciples? And I had this convicting thought of, I'm going to be pastoring people. What do I expect out of a congregation? What do I expect out of people that God has called me the shepherd? Because I knew what happened in my parents' generation and their parents' generation and their parents' generation. If you came to church, if you came to a service, and if you served somewhere, and if you gave money to the church, that was all that the church expected of you. If you did those three things, you were good. But you better not miss the Sunday service. Right? You better not, um, don't skip a tithe. You better be giving. You better be serving somewhere. But was the church, was for anybody, was the expectation of the church to actually go and make disciples? I mean, what would happen if you guys skipped tonight because you were going to meet with someone that didn't know Jesus? So for us, we just wanted to say, okay, what if we literally put all of our cards in? We pushed everything into this going to make disciples. Everything we did circled around this one point. That we weren't complicated, that we didn't have a bunch of different things. Because here's, this is going to be oversimplified. But here's two different ways churches go about this discipleship process. One, and again, let me, let me take a step back. This is not me being critical. Okay, this is a way, this isn't the way. This is our conviction, this isn't the conviction for every church. This is our model. This shouldn't be the model. We need all these different churches doing different models and different ministry sets. So like I said at the beginning, if we get through tonight and you just don't know about the way we do church, I get it. Just go get plugged in with another church. So by me saying this, this isn't me convicting or condemning other churches for being idiots. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying this is what God has pushed us into. Does that make sense? Okay. We'll be clear on that. I don't want to be the church. There's already been rumors about the branch that we're like the judgmental church. We're judgmental and liberal, which is just funny because I don't know how that works, but that's what people say about us. Welcome to church planning. So, are we good on that? This is not, a, this is not condemnation or anything. This is just what we're convicted of. There's two over, oversimplified ways of how to do church. There's the ministry model and there's the individual model. So the ministry model would say, we as a church need to make disciples. So what ministries, what events, what things can we do to reach out to the community to get people in? And some of you probably like the church I grew up in, you had Upwards, you had Awanas, you had all these big events that would draw people in. And the hope from those events is that they would get plugged into a Sunday service just like this. They would hear the message of the gospel proclaimed. They would be saved. They would get plugged into maybe a Sunday school class or something. And so that's kind of the big picture, the big ministry side of discipleship. We need to do whatever we can to get people to this room. Praise God for that. That's not who we are, but that's an awesome ministry model that's worked. Where we are is this Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. If you have your Bible, you can flip there. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 uh, was a verse. I sleep pretty hard. And by pretty hard, I mean I sleep hard. Um, but when the time I lay my head down, my wife gets really frustrated because I can go to sleep in two minutes and not wake up the rest of the night. Truth be told, I hear the kids crying, I just don't get up. All confession on the table. Sorry, wife. You knew that, right? Okay. So, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, though, as we took this year and three months to try to prepare ourselves for this church planning journey we were going on, 
This was the passage, this was the verse that would haunt me to my core. That would literally keep me up at night going, how do I, how do, I do this? Because it says that they gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers, right? So they gave all these people the role to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip you as individuals for the work of the ministry. That's, that's what the foundation, that was the structure of the early church. That they gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All of them had one common role was to equip the saints, to equip the believers, to equip the church for the work of the ministry. So if the work of the ministry, we take it back to Matthew 28, to go make disciples, who make disciples, right? To go teach everyone all that I've commanded you, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If that's our role, then my role then at this point is to equip you to do that, to not do it for you. And I know this is kind of a hard thing, even in parenting, your parents, you probably have different roles. Some of your parents were micromanagers, were the helicopter parents that did literally everything for you. If you're a freshman right now, you're probably waking up to going, oh my goodness, like I don't know how to do anything. You're calling mommy and daddy saying, hey, how do I start a washing machine? Because I'm sitting in front of one and I don't know how to do it. And I'm laughing and it's fair because I made the same phone call with Georgia Southern. It's, I, that my parents just did everything for me. But then there's the other side of it growing up where your parents did nothing for you. Not in a harmful way, but they wanted you to learn. My best friend Brandon made a smart aleck comment as a 7th grader to his mom about not having clean clothes. And on that day, she never did another, block, another load of his laundry ever again. So I'm going up, I, my underwear just always was in the drawer. I don't know how it happened. If I dropped the towel on the ground, it got washed and hung back up. My friend Brandon, never the case. I'll go over and be like, man, I, I, I can't go out right now. I've got to do laundry. I literally have no clean clothes. So we see that in parenting where some parents overparent and some parents do everything for them out of love. And you've got some parents, their love language is, no, we're going to push you to do it on your own. And so for here at the branch, what started, Bree and I just had this crazy idea of what if we set up a church structure where everything happened on an individual basis? To where it wasn't up to a pastor or a few pastors for the work of the ministry. It wasn't up for a couple guys to make disciples who made disciples. That We set up a structure where every single person was adequately discipled enough to then turn around and go make disciples. That we set up a structure in which that is all that happened was discipleship. That we didn't need a bunch of money. That we didn't need a grand building. We didn't need all these events. We could just let the people go in a normal everyday life and we'd see people saved. What if that was really our role? And so what came out of that, what breathed out of that vision was kind of what you see today and what we're going to talk about. That was literally the longest intro I've ever had. Welcome to the branch. So um, there is a chart that I want to show that's going to kind of get us segue into tonight. Has anyone ever, no, you can go back. There we go. Has anyone ever seen this before? Why, how, what? Have you seen him before? Okay. So there's a guy named Simon Sinek. Um, start with why. Ever watch TED Talks? Yeah? Okay. You should go watch this TED Talk. It'll blow your mind. But what he talks about is most business, churches, individuals, all that, we know what we do. Some of us know how we do it, but the majority of us don't know why we do it. So all that we talk about is our products and what we can offer, but at the end of the day, we don't really know why. But what Simon Sinek would argue is the why is what actually sells people on it. <clears throat> so 
That video we showed beforehand was a three-minute video. Did it ever talk about the new iPhone? No. Did it ever talk about the Apple Watch? Or the iPad? Or the MacBook Pro? No. Did you ever know it was an Apple commercial until the very end where the Apple logo just popped up? So what they're selling you is, we're going to be bigger, we're going to be better, we're going to be different. Apple. So they started, they sold you on the why. That is why Apple was so successful. One thing Simon Sinek talks about, um, the Wright brothers, right? Airplanes, uh, wow, it's probably not a time-sensitive uh, example for airplanes, but I'm going to go with it because it's in my notes. So you talk about that. I did not mean to be this disrespectful. I'm sorry. Um, but you look at like the Wright brothers who broke guys, used every extra penny they had to try to create the airplane, and we still talk about them today for creating the airplanes, right? Did you know that the government hired someone else to make an airplane? And they said, whatever you need, however much money you need, whatever team you need, whatever you need, let us know. We just want to get an airplane. We want to get in the sky. You do it. So this guy knew the what. He knew, okay, I've got to make the airplane. But he didn't have that in the pit of my stomach. This is what I'm thinking about every day, every night. No, it was just a job for him. It was just a career. But the Wright brothers that didn't have any of that, all they had was that fire in their belly. We're going to be the first ones to fly. Who are the ones that we're talking about today? So for us, we've got to, we're going to talk about some of the what. We're going to talk about some of the how. But we want to spend the majority of tonight talking about the why of what we do. So now you can go to the chart. My awesome graphics. Um, this is it. Now when you talk about ministry model, when you talk about what the branch is about, what the branch does, this is literally everything. This is it. Like, there's nothing fancy about us. There's nothing crazy about our model. Everything we literally do is like 24 words. Okay, where it's totally simple uh, because when we read in Acts, has anyone ever read through Acts? Acts is one of those books that before we planned out, I was reading through it. It'll mess you up. Like, it just changes the way you view what we need and what we don't need for the church. Um, they were just a simplistic people loving each other super well and talking about Jesus everywhere they went. So we want to try to replicate as much as we can to make disciples. So you can see the why, you can see the how, and you can see the what. Um, so what we are, if you've ever seen our website, if you've ever seen anything, we are a gospel-centered community living on mission. That's our what. So I could spend the majority of time talking about our what and what that means and all that kind of stuff. But staying true to what Simon Sinek says, we're going to flip the script and we're going to start off with the why. Okay? So every time you come in here, you're going to see these three banners spread out. Um, people matter, your story matters, Jesus is everything. And so for us, um, this, this just boils down to why we do what we do. Everything we do stems out of these three statements. And I remember us as a team, I think at that time it was just me, Matt, and Kyle. We're sitting around uh, praying, fasting, trying to get into what this meant for us. What were we going to be about? What was the... Fire in our belly. This, we cannot do anything but desire of our hearts. And this is what we landed on. So let's start off with the one closest to me, the people matter. If you flip over um, to Genesis. Flip over to Genesis. And I'm going to kind of flip, fly through some of this real fast. Uh, so we don't have to keep flipping. There's a bunch of different texts for tonight, but I really want to land on, um, on some big things at the end. But if you flip over Genesis, there's this phrase called the Imago Dei. Has anyone ever heard of it? Yeah? So in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, uh, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. So what we see from this text is that everyone, believers, not believers, doesn't matter race, doesn't matter nationality, doesn't matter ethnic background, doesn't matter anything in general, we're all created in the image of God, so therefore, all people matter. So, what this looks like then for us as a church to really start living this out is what would we look like if we really loved with no agenda? Um, there's a book called Unchristian that talks about the top six misconceptions about Christians, and one of the things it talks about is that Christians love with an agenda. We love to try to trick you into the gospel, to try to get you to a church service, to try to get you saved. But if that's evident in your life, that's not where you are. That's not the season of life you're in. The Christians will drop you like a bag habit. That's just the misconception, and I would even argue conception, true reality of Christians in America, is that we love with an agenda. And so just a couple of different things, that, uh, some character traits about what it looks like for us to have, or have the heart of why people matter, is that we aren't distracted by people's sins, ever. So we want to be a church that we value people so much that we don't get wrapped up in your sins and in your struggles and let that disqualify you from this community. We're just not afraid of it. I know for a fact that we've had numerous homosexuals come and join us in this gathering often. That's that's not afraid for us. That's not a fear for us. I know very well we've got atheists coming around all the time in this gathering in missional communities That doesn't scare us. If we truly believe that people matter, then people's sins and backgrounds and upbringings should not be afraid or should not be a fear or a phobia for us that they're created in the same image that this guy is, that I am, so we're all running in this thing together. So we're not distracted by people's sins. The other thing, like I mentioned, that we love with no agenda. Um, You probably see on campus and, and even like as adults get cold calls all the time about um, you know when people are just trying to sales pitch you on something, right? Like, hey, come get this free something so I can sit there and talk to you for a couple minutes. No matter what that free something is, unless it's a car, if Oprah tries to give me something, I'm going to go talk to her. Anybody short of that? No, I'm not going to talk, right? We know when people have an agenda. How about this one? That we initiate, that we take the first step with people. So if we value, if one of our wives, everything that we do is wrapped up in the people matter, that we're going to take the first step with people, that we're going to initiate the conversation, that we're going to initiate um, the pursuit, that we are pursuing people like God pursued us. And maybe another one is that we get messy with people. And I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I don't like this one at all. That we get into people's lives so deep so. It always blows my mind that people accuse Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. You know why? Because that's who we spent a lot of time with. That's who we did life with. So, I mean, you look at, we're so afraid of our reputation. We want to make sure we look good in front of people. and We want to act like we got our stuff together. But that's not what Jesus did. I mean, you just got to, let's just kind of pause for a second and wrap our mind around this. If Jesus was here today, what would he be accused of because of the people he hung out with? If Jesus walked this earth today, what would he be accused of because of the people he spent time with? I 
don't think people would have accused Jesus of being a holy roller. Or Mr. Spiritual. I think they would have had some other probably harsh terms for who he hung out with. Or here, here's another one that I just really struggle with too. Uh, if people truly matter, then we don't give up on people. We're all in process, right? I think I've shared this story before. When I was at Georgia Southern, I was a jerk. I didn't mean to be. I was just in process and I was growing with the Lord. And so uh, last semester, I actually sat down and wrote the BCM guys a letter and said, hey, I need to apologize for being a jerk. But thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for still pursuing me because I know I was pretty unlovable in that moment. And for me, I'm a pretty low mercy guy. Anyone else low mercy? You did that to yourself, get over it kind of person. Um, that's just my heart, that's my character. But if people truly matter, then we don't give up on people. We pursue people, we love people like crazy. So that's one of our whys, that drives everything we do. The second one is that your story matters. Um, right about the same time we were getting ready to plant, has anyone ever heard of the guy Donald Miller? Author Donald Miller? Where's Caroline? Where's the other Caroline? Where's Caleb's Caroline? There you go. I knew you liked it. So um, Donald Miller wrote a couple books. Blue, what? She's got tattoos of Donald Miller quotes. Like that's it's awesome. I love it. Um, he wrote Blue Light Jazz, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. He wrote a couple other books. Um, but Blue Light Jazz, the gist of the second book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, was if your life was a movie, would anyone pay to come and see it? If your life was a movie, would anyone pay to come see your life on the big screen? Because of what he wrote in Blue Light Jazz, these guys found his life so interesting that they called him and said, can we make a movie about your life? And so now they turn around and there's a movie, Blue Light Jazz, you can watch about Donald Miller. So the whole premise of the book was living a story that actually counts for something. In that book, Million Miles in a Thousand Years, he actually bikes across the country and does all this crazy stuff about living a story that matters. And I don't know why, but that just sunk in with me hard because we all started off early in life wanting to do something that changed the world, right? I mean, when you were little, you dreamed about being a superhero or an Olympic athlete or something big that made a difference, that made an impact in your world. And now we just have this mantra, if I can just get through this season, if I can just get through this semester, I'll be okay. If I can just get to where my kids are potty trained, I'll be okay. If I can just get to my IRA is this point, then I'll be okay. And what's going to happen is we're going to die and go, what did I do with my life? All of our life was, if I could just get here, if I could just get here, if I could just get here, then my story will begin. And just get here ends up in death in a grave with no accomplishment. Through this season, for me, I read across this quote uh, in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. that said, I despair, like I would hate it, if my life passed me by without God doing something great on my behalf. Like, what is life if I live and die and I never saw a move of God that I just couldn't explain? Or another one that says, um, uh, how's it go? I want God to do something in me and through me that's disproportionate to who I am. That when people see what God is doing in its midst, he's going to look at us as individuals and go, like, there's no one special in this room. Like, there's no one of, like, notable uh, IQ. There's no one of, like, notable accomplishments. This is just a group of ordinary people. That this, what God is doing in the midst of the branch church is disproportionate to who this is. And when you read the book of Acts, yeah, Peter was a moron. 
Like, literally, a week before, he still doesn't get it. He's denying Christ. He's cutting the guard's ears off, and then out of nowhere, you're preaching, and thousands are being saved. You want to talk about doing something that's disproportionate to who you are? Look at the apostles in Acts. That's all their story was. So what would it look like if we, yes, we valued with everything that we have that people matter, but what if we really started to believe? What if we really walked in this identity that God has given us a story that matters? That your life right now matters. That if you don't do what God has asked you to do, if we don't live out our story, that there's going to be a direct um, repercussion in our life. We don't, like, does anyone want to live a boring story? Seriously. Or does anyone want to just kind of coast through until you die? I don't say this in a prideful way. It might come across that way, but I really don't mean this. I want to see our story in the history books. I don't care about my name. I don't want to be the next prince of preachers. I don't care about any of that. But I want people to look back in history, just like the Haystack Revival and the big movements of God. I want this church to be a part of that movement. I want this church's story to reign true for centuries and centuries and centuries to come because we're a group of people that know that God has given us a story that matters. But we want this to be a core truth, a core identity. And this doesn't happen from us being wrapped up in day-to-day stuff that at the end of our life is just going to end up in a yard sale or a trash pile. This happens by us being so in love with the Father that what permeates out of us literally changes lives around us. So one of the things that you'll see, one of the characteristics that comes out of this, is the way we do baptisms. When we baptize people, we don't baptize like, I'm not the only one that does it. Whoever leads you to Jesus is the one that baptizes you. Whoever is the one that took the step out in faith and said, hey, I'm a little nervous, I don't really know how to do this thing, but I know my story matters, so I'm going to tell you the gospel, and I'm going to love on you really well, and I'm going to show you that your life matters. Whoever steps out on faith and does that is the one that gets into the waters and baptizes that person. Because again, this isn't a big picture ministry. This is an individual ministry. This is how we operate as a church. We believe that your story matters. And the last one is that Jesus is everything. This one I want you to see. Flip over to Galatians. Galatians 4, 3-7. through Galatians 4. Someone please tell me that clock up there doesn't say 40 minutes. It doesn't. It's 8.630. No, what is it? Kyle, what does that say? No. <laughs> All right, whatever. We're going to keep going. Everybody got it? Galatians 4, 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent. If you're an underliner, circle, underline this word. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Verse 6. 
And because you were sons, God has, again, circle this word, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, a son and an heir through God. So when we talk about Jesus is everything for us, this is what we mean. Twice in Galatians, in the whole narrative of the gospel, is that God sent on our behalf Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. That God initiated, that God pursued, that God did everything. All we do as believers is respond to what God has already done for us. So could we be talking about the gospel if it wasn't for Jesus? Could we have any hope for the world if it wasn't for Jesus? Could we have any hope for salvation if it wasn't for Jesus? No, none of that. Here's the beauty of Christianity. Here's the beauty of the gospel that separates us from literally every other world religion. Every other world religion, it's about the human initiating the response to the religion. Christianity is the only one that is the Father, the God, that initiates the religion with the Son. Does that make sense? So in every other world religion, you have to line up, you have to do these things, you have to start the initiation process and get to a certain point of clarity. But what we read from Galatians is where this, our God has turned that upside down. Our God started the initiation, that our God pursues us, that our God shows his love for us, that our God has sent his son, that our God loves us to that extreme, that he's going to take care of everything. All that we have to do is respond to that love. All we have to do is respond to that gospel. So when we say that Jesus is everything, literally we are nothing apart from the gospel. We are nothing apart from Jesus which allows us to live a story that matters and allows us to show that people matter because how much God first loved us. First John 4, 9, right? We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. We show love because he first showed love to us. We disciple because he's first discipled us. We cannot get and will not get this out of order. Everything we do is a response so if you ever come across the branch, if you ever feel like we're telling you in a legalistic tone, you've got to do this and this and this, I don't want you to ever feel pressured into anything. What we're going to do, and with everything we've got, is preach you and model to you and live out the gospel the best we can. And from that, that should push you into action. But don't ever fall into this trip of religiousness where you to put on the show and you put on a front so that you hope Jesus will love you one day. So that you act like you have your stuff together to look good in front of a group of people, not even thinking about what the king thinks about that. So when we say Jesus is everything, that comes and is birthed out of this, that God has initiated everything for us. All we have to do is respond. So, I know some of you are thinking, okay, that sounds good, but like, what does this have to do with how you operate as a church? Like, I like these whys, it makes sense, but what does this have to do with us as a church? I'm glad you asked. That brings us to the next thing. Um, this how, okay? And this is where we're going to camp out a little bit, and then we'll be done, because I know we're, I'm talking a lot. Um, the first thing, you can kind of see the top three. This is going to be the language we use, is the go, gather, go, gather, grow. If you laugh at a speech impediment, you're going to go to a bad place when you don't have to say it. <laughs> just kidding. Um, that was too far. So, just, just kidding. So, go, grab, oh my gosh. <laughs> Grow, gather, go. There we go. So that's the vernacular, that's the language that we use here. Because this is it. Like I said, we're not a complicated model. We at the branch do three things. 
Period. We do three things. So if you're looking for all these different crazy ministry ideas and different ideas, um, that's great. As long as it fits into the three things that we do, by all means, let's do it. Uh, but if it doesn't fit into those, I promise you, uh, we're probably not going to do it yet. I'm not saying that we won't. I'm not saying that our model isn't going to change in the future. Our big picture, if we're making disciples who make disciples, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But if making disciples isn't happening, then we'll shift some things around. But this is the model that we feel like God has convicted us of doing. We do three things. We go, we gather, and we grow. I'm just going to say it slow so I don't mess up. So the first one, the grow, falls under the category of Jesus is everything. These are our DNA groups. Um, so starting right now, if you pull up the BranchTelonica.com, there's going to be a, a tab at the top that says DNA groups. And you can fill out online some information about yourself, um, where you live, how old you are, uh, felt passions, all this kind of stuff. And we're going to place you in a group of three guys or three girls. And what happens inside this DNA group is spelled out in DA, you're gonna, or DNA. You're going to discover... So the discover scripture by studying the Bible together and answering four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? Now what do we do? The second part is the nurture. And this is the part that makes people a little uncomfortable until you get into it. And then it's literally the most freeing thing because the Bible says it would be. Confess your sins to one another. So in this nurturing environment, we're talking about sins. We're talking about our struggles. I say this all the time until I'm blue in the face. Uh, just This is a perfect example. Almost all the guys that I meet with, I think I'm a running 98% percentile right now. 98% of the guys that I meet with struggle with pornography. But we don't talk about it. Like, but, but it's affecting our souls. But we don't talk about that in the church. But it's affecting our future marriages. Yeah, but that's a little messy. Let's not talk about this. This is church. This is church. Let's not talk about that here. No, DNA groups is where you talk about that, where you press into each other's lives, where you um, confess sin, and it's not a place where you're going to confess sin, you're going to talk about the struggles, and those people are going to go wrap you out to everyone else. It is a safe place, and from that, discovering the scriptures and then nurturing each other's souls, the A comes out of that, the action. So now what do we do? How do we live based on uh, who God is, what he's done, who are we, now what do we do? So let me put a big asterisk next, next to DNAs. The next two things that I'm going to talk about, the Sunday gathering and missional communities, are a place for you to come, for you to explore, so you get involved with as slowly as you need to. But for DNA groups, this is, gonna, this is kind of a higher set bar for you. This is a place where you're going to walk into knowing this is going to get uncomfortable, there's going to be places in my heart that are going to be pressed on that I don't want to be pressed on, that I'm going to need to be open and honest with this group of people, that, that I just need to be real and weak and vulnerable. So we offer DNA groups for any that want to get involved. But I'm saying the other two get involved right away. The DNA makes sure you're ready for it. Because if not, it's not fair to the other people in the group. So do I want you in a DNA group? Yes. Do I think that this is one of the most life-changing things we do at the branch? Yes. But make sure you're ready. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Make sure you're ready and willing to be open and be vulnerable and be weak and be real and let the scriptures actually read you before you sign up for one of these things. Okay? And here's kind of the caveat for some of this stuff. 
What we've noticed is, um, and, I, and I think this is, I did it as a youth pastor, this is just a fault of the church. We do Bible studies really big, 14, 15, 16, 20, 25, 30 people within a Bible study. Everyone come in, we study scriptures together, let's get real. All right, now you guys go make disciples, you guys go do it on your own, go make sure it happens. And it never happens, because <laughs> it's individualistic, it never actually takes place. People love to study the Bible, but actually doing what it says is a little bit more difficult sometimes. Can I get an Amen. I mean, for me, one of the most sobering things that has happened lately is when I saw the moving truck come to my neighbor's house and I realized I had not yet shared the gospel with that dude. That we had had meal after meal after meal at our house and I hadn't even invited my own neighbor over and now they're moving and that opportunity was gone. So when we talk about, those are DNAs, when we talk about missional communities, we're kind of flipping the script. We're saying we're going to put the DNA, the discipleship, the Bible study part in a small group. Only guys, only girls, three people. But when we equip the saints for the work of the ministry to live on mission, let's do that as a community so there's accountability, there's encouragement, and there's a drive to do that. So we have eight missional communities, and you'll hear more about these in a minute. Eight missional communities for you to get involved in. Here's what takes place in a missional community. Every other week, you're going to come together, you're going to study the scriptures, you're going to press in, you're going to be praying about who this community can go be the gospel to, can go share the love of the Father with. You're going to do that every other week. The other weeks, guess what? You're going to do it. You're going to make disciples. Sounds crazy, I know. It's weird. As a community, you're actually going to do what the Bible has asked us to do. So, a couple of different ways. You can have a huge party at your house every other week. Uh, last year, we did a bunch of meal nights where the only expectation was you eat a meal and invite lost people. That was it. Invite those that don't know Jesus and eat a meal together. That was it. That is a way for you as a community to invite people in and to make disciples and to live on mission. Uh, maybe you want to do one thing we've talked about is doing date night Friday night for our family missional community where we will pay for Wink, wink, pay for. Anybody that likes to babysit, call me. We will pay for the branch for babysitters to come over. We're not really paying you. You're just going to come serve the church in this way. You're going to come over to my house, and you're going to watch all of these kids, and we, are going to, our missional community, is going to take all these families out for a big date night. We're going to have time away from the kids. The kids are going to be taken care of for and loved and prayed over while they're being babysat in our basement. And we're going to just go be with these couples that don't know Jesus and have a nice quiet dinner, and just hear about their story, hear about their life. That's what it looks like to live on mission. And then once a semester, at least, we're going to do a big service project. Um, I know one of the missional communities, every Friday, they deliver food for Family Connection for the middle school to those that don't have food over the weekend. So they pick up four boxes of food and take them every single Friday to four different families and drop them off so that their kids and families can eat over the weekend. So once a semester, you're going to take time to get together, serve somewhere in the community. But every other week, you're going to study scripture together. And every other week, you're going to do what it's asking you to do. And however you see fit. So that's what our missional communities look like. So are you going to get super in-depth in your Bible study? No. No. Are you going to get super in-depth as a community? Yes. Has anyone ever read anything about the army? Or seen much about the army? Hey, Charlie, you could raise your hand, but never mind. 
Your dad wasn't military or anything. You're good. So um, these guys come from all across the world. They are all across the country. They do basic training together. They do all this stuff. But when you read about soldiers, this brotherhood comes from when they're on the front lines, when their lives are on the line, and they've got brothers that have their left and their right. That's where this true community, this true brotherhood, this true bond comes from. It should be the same for the church. These missional communities are going to have incredible community because we're literally fighting Satan, fighting back sin, fighting back lostness in our community. From that is going to have a true lasting community that's going to be able to last for a lifetime. Now these missional communities are going to grow and they're going to multiply and they're going to grow and they're going to multiply. By next year we might have 16 missional communities. Who knows? DNA groups? We're not going to split those out. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Like every four months, hey, my name's Gabe, let me go ahead, and here's all my sins on paper. All right, I'm going to call it up, okay, let's keep going. No, so DNA groups, we're going to keep you guys together. We know you're sharing crazy, intimate things that you're working through, sin together. We're not breaking those up. But as far as the uh, missional communities, yeah, we will start multiplying. Ours has multiplied last month. We've already had a couple multiply last year. So those will be multiplying every so often when they get basically too big for a house. And the last thing you've seen is this. It's the Sunday gathering. This happens once a month. But if you're paying attention, if you're any math majors, uh, this is only one-third of what we do. So this is going to take one-third of our energy. This is going to take one-third of our resources. This is going to take one-third of our time. We don't want to build everything around this right here. We want to equip you guys to be living as Jesus every day, to be making disciples who make disciples every day. So, should we come together once a week for corporate teaching, and corporate worship, and corporate communion, and corporate giving? Yes, by all means, and we will continue to do that. But this is not the beginning. This, or this is not the end, this is the beginning. We don't invite people in here just to get here, and that's all we expect. If people come into this, we want to assimilate them into missional communities as quickly as possible. And when they're ready, assimilate them into DNAs. Make sense? So, um, if you're a missional community leader, come see me up here. I want everyone just to have the opportunity to see one of the eight MCs we have this semester, or this year. I meant we do this once a week. Just to clarify. Yeah. Did I say once a week? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My bad. What? Yeah, you're good. So what we're gonna do is you're just gonna talk about where you guys meet, what night of the week, what time, where, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Good to go. Good to go. Okay. So um, Chloe, Meredith, and I are gonna be meeting on Tuesday nights at eight o'clock for our meal night. And our meal night's gonna look a little different this year. Um, since it's at 8, we're not going to actually do dinner. We're going to do coffee, tea, and desserts. And we'll have it as a casual kind of hangout kind of session like that. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing. This is Macy and Alma. We're going to be in uh, Sherman Green. And, uh, yeah, Sherman Green, and we're all to hang on. Sherman Green, 709 at 7 o'clock on Tuesday. <laughs> 
Cameron's Madison, and ours is a little bit different. Um, we're gonna be in Gainesville, so um, anybody who lives in Gainesville or that area or know people, um, we're gonna be meeting at Midland Station Coffee Company. Um, and yeah, this is Caitlin, this is Emily, and Mackenzie. Um, and we're also gonna be meeting at Mackenzie's house some weeks as well, but we'll go over that. On Mondays at four, sorry, I guess that's important. <laughs> and Caroline and Tuesdays at 7 we're going to be hosting our MC at our apartment in Red Doors did I say that right? Okay, Red Doors 117 and um, we're also going to have coffee, tea and dessert at least for this Tuesday you know we'll see how it gets but yeah what's up guys uh, I'm Kyle this is Charlie and my wife uh, lead our missional community we're off Cavender Creek like going all the way out towards the end we meet Wednesday nights at 6 30 um, if you guys are board game geeks like Katan, um, or just a small family, we're kind of like a hodgepodge, so bring it on. Uh, I'm Matthew, and I lead a missional community with Laura Bowers and Ricky Bowers, who is doing children's right now, I believe. Um, no? Oh, all right, well, you're just not here. Um, <laughs> we meet Tuesday nights at 6.30 at my house, which is also off of Cavender Creek. It's at 85 Sawmill. Hey, I'm Jay, this is Matthew, and this is Caleb. Um, we meet on Monday nights at 6.30, and we are off Hidden Valley Trail, which is across from the high school. So if you know where Lumpkin County High School is, that's where we meet. Um, we'll be mixing it up with meals and coffee and all of that. Cool. You guys can grab a seat. Thanks, man. Um, ours will be meeting Friday night at 6.30-ish um, at uh, We Live Off Mill Creek. Uh, we're trying to experiment this year. This is not a to be offensive by no means, but um, we're going to keep ours exclusive to um, reaching out to a family demographic. Our mission is going to be families. Uh, so if you're a college student, you're not welcome at my house on Friday nights. Any other time you're more than welcome to come over, please don't come over on Friday nights uh, because you scare families away. So, I'm just kidding. But serious. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, so that is kind of who we are. That is... What we're doing, uh, one of the things I didn't mention, or a couple things about missional communities before we wrap up, um, all this information is on our website, thebranchsalonica.com. Um, you can get addresses, times, who they're leading. Um, this week is just going to be a big party. You come over, get to hang out with the community. Uh, but next week, you guys are going to sit down and write out a covenant together. Of who is God calling you to reach out to this year? So who are you going to live on mission? Who are you going to attract? So I'll go ahead and use the Gainesville crew real quick. Um, part of the reasons we're, they're doing Gainesville and part of the reasons they're doing the time and all that is an easy market for them to attract to is the people in their uh, early education program that are spread across, not in Dahlonega, but Flyer Branch and Gainesville and all that area that are doing student teaching. So Mondays at 4 is targeting that. So their mission is those people. Uh, Friday nights for us is targeting families because we put our kids to bed at 7.30. So it's really difficult to do a missional community on a Tuesday night when bedtime is at 7.30. So y'all come over at 6.30, but you got to leave at 7 to go get your kids bath and bathed in, in bed by 7.30. Cool, so we'll hang out for an hour. It just wouldn't work. Um, so when you start forming a missional community next week, you guys will write a covenant together saying, here is who we're going to live on mission. Here is who we're going to die to our preferences and who we're going to love and try to see the gospel change this year. 
It sounds crazy, but wouldn't it be awesome if every individual was a part of a missional community who led someone to Jesus this year? Sounds crazy, but it shouldn't. It should be normative. Wouldn't it be awesome if they literally renamed Yehula Creek to the Branch Baptismal River? Because we're down there every week dunking people for Jesus. Like, why not? Why can't we do that? What would it look like, seriously, if our missional communities grew because we invited so many people in that we had to multiply by 16 by January? What would it look like, some of you in this room right now that are not a missional community leader, you're going to be standing up here soon saying, God called me to start a missional community and we're leading this night here. Come join us. It's happening. It's starting. One of the biggest things about the church is not a building it's not a location, it's a movement. And this church is moving. Not because of me, not because of a building, not because of Matthew or our sound system. No, it's because people in this room are taking the call of the gospel serious. And they're living on mission every moment of every day. So here's how I want to end tonight. Here's how we end every night. I know people have questions about missional communities. Uh, we can answer all that. But, again, like I mentioned time and time again, the only reason we're doing this is First John. The only reason we're doing this is Galatians. Because God has first sent His Son for us. That now we are His righteousness. That God is, even though we are sinful, even though we are broken, even though we are dirty and caught up in our sins, Ephesians 2 would say, uh, Christ sent his, or God sent His Son, Christ, to take our place on the cross. And so we end every gathering in the same way. That if we're not constantly going back to the cross, if we're not constantly repenting of our sins, if we're not constantly remembering who God is and who we are, we're going to start getting our motivations out of order. So the way we end here at the branch, almost every single gathering, is I will pray and we'll have time to go take communion. You will rip the bread. You will take the body. You will dip it into the blood to remember all that Christ has done for us. To remember all that Christ has done and is doing and has done for us as believers. That is who we are and that's what we do. That's why we operate. That's why we take this call serious to make disciples who make disciples. Not to earn God's love but because God has first loved us. So if you're not yet a believer, man, like just let this, just sit. Um, you're, you don't have to participate in communion. But if you're a believer, this is a special time for us to remember all that God has done for us and all that God will do, and all that God has done for us. So when we pray, when we go back, if you want to take communion right there, man, please do it. If you want to take it back to your seats and pray and meditate for a little bit, please do it. Uh, but just know that we are the church, that we are His church, because all that He has done, first and foremost, for us. So let me pray, and we'll go into communion, and we'll have a little bit more time of worship. Uh, Jesus, we're so grateful for Your love for us. Um, God, we don't understand, we can't comprehend.